Okay, our topic tonight out of Revelation chapter 7, a very important chapter, a very pinnacle chapter, as we will be looking at who will be able to stand in the last days. And it is those who have the seal of God. So we'll be looking at what is the seal of God and how we can have it. Okay, so we left off in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Now these events, as we saw as we did Daniel chapter 12, and we talked about the time prophecies there, uh, and if you missed that, you can see that on Shalom Adventure. Just type in Daniel 12, and it'll bring it up. Went over these events and the other events that have already taken place. And so these have already taken place, so we're already in the midst of the sixth seal. We're halfway through the sixth seal, and we come to this portion in verse 13, and then verse 14, and then the sky receded as a scroll, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come. And then the chapter ends, who is able to stand, right? So you have this event. So we're right between verse 13 and verse 14 in history. And the next event, after the ones that have already taken place, where we're at, the next thing to take place, as far as the seals are concerned, is for the heavens to recede like a scroll, the mountains and islands move out of their places, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, and everyone crying for the rocks and the hills to fall on them and to hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne. So that's the coming of the Lord, and the wicked are running and fleeing and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb in panic. They want to be hidden under the mountains. And so great tumultus, tumults will take place on the earth and the wicked will see his coming and they will run for, from him. And then in contrast to that, there'll be another group who will be saying, who is able to stand? So they're not running and hiding, but they also see their unworthiness and they're saying, but who is worthy to stand? Who is able to stand? Before him, kind of like when when uh, when when Peter uh, came to the realization that Yeshua was the Messiah, when he when he multiplied the fish in his nets, and he he ran up to him and he fell before him and said, "Depart from me, for I am an evil man." And when we come in contact with Yeshua, when we come fully in contact with him, fully see him for who he is, we see ourselves in relation to him. No longer seeing ourselves in comparison to ourselves or in comparison to other people and thinking, well, we're pretty good and we're getting better. We see ourselves in relation to him and we realize we're no match for him. We're, we are unworthy of him, but he loves us anyway. And so they cry out, we cry out, who is able to stand? And that's where the chapter ends. And then comes the seventh chapter that answers that question. So it's kind of a, a parenthetical statement put in here between the sixth seal and the seventh seal before he's able to show John the seventh seal he explains who are those who are able to stand and by God's grace that will include us and so we need to know who are those 
who are able to stand, what it's going to take for us to be able to stand before the Lord as he comes in the glory of his Father with all his angels with him. Who is able to stand through the time of trouble that will take place over this earth? So chapter 7, verse 1, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. That's where we're at in history right now. God has sent forth his four angels, and they are holding back the winds of strife that is about to take place on this earth. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead. So again, that's where we're at right now. God is holding back these winds. And this angel has proclaimed to them, Do not let go of the winds. Do not let go of the stripe. Do not let all of earth let loose. Don't let all panic take place. Don't let the wicked have their way yet until we have sealed the servants of our God with the seal of the living God. And that's what we need to be able to stand through, as the Bible describes, a time of trouble such as the world has never seen. We need, so we need to know what the seal is and how to receive it. And that's what we're going to learn tonight, what God's seal is and how we can receive it. And we're right in the midst. I mean, things are happening so fast. We are plummeting so fast. We're seeing the, the winds are beginning to pass past these angels as God is just allowing things to start to set loose. I mean, it's amazing. We look at things today compared to where they were 20 years ago. We never would have guessed it, even maybe 10 years ago. Things absolutely amazing. Men saying they're women, playing in women's sports and wrestling and boxing and and, and, and basketball and racing and winning medal after medal. It's absolutely crazy what's taking place in this earth. Winds of strife, we see in, in nature, uh, hurricanes and disasters, things are taking place in this earth. But God has his seal, will have his seal over his people. Now, when we look at the word seal, when we think about what it means to be sealed, we use that term here in this chapter, these chapters, talked about a scroll written with seals on it. And so when a dignitary wrote something and he didn't want it to be read by anyone else, he wanted it to be preserved until it reached the person who he wrote it to, he'd put a seal on it, a wax seal on it, and then put his signet ring on it, which had his name and his title. And we found some, archaeology have found a great number of them today. And they have what their ruler over, the ruler over Jerusalem or where their dominion is or what they're a governor over. So their name, their title, their location, things like that on a traditional seal. And then they would seal that, and then as the messenger would take the, the, the letter to whoever it was designated to, he receives it, as long as the seal's not broken, he knows it wasn't read. It was preserved inside. No one added anything to it, no one read it, no one took anything out. It was preserved inside. And the same thing when we have sealing of jars, right? We have cans and bottled and... and uh, food in, 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 in uh, jars, and it, it, they boil out all the impurities or heat it up to cook everything out of the jam, 
And then when all the air is out, they then cap it and seal it so that no impurities can get in, no air can get in, and cause it to uh, go bad. I have to get a, a jar and it says on the top, if it, the jar is popped open, if the top is popped open, if lifted, then you know that it fermented inside, donated, it went bad, right? And so the sealing is to keep out impurities, to keep what is in there pure. And that's what God needs to do, seal us. So as we go through that time of wickedness, his people will remain pure. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of the tribes of Israel were sealed, of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. And on down the line for these 12 tribes. Now there's two, Ephraim and I think it's Dan, that are not listed there. And they are replaced with Joseph and Levi. And so I don't believe that this is a literal, talking about literally 12,000 people from these literal tribes. And we'll get into the Bible reasons here in a minute. But just on the common sense level, again, we're in Revelation, and it's all filled with symbolism. And I don't think we can find any pure Jews, any Jews that are from a, strictly from one tribe anymore. We're talking over 10,000 years since the record of what families we were from have been destroyed, and we have intermixing, even, if, even uh, among the Jewish tribes, among the Jewish people, intermarrying among Jews. We don't have a tribe of Judah, someone who's strictly from Judah or someone strictly from Reuben or strictly from Gad anymore. And, and we don't even have the records of it. Well, God knows, yes, so God knows who's, who's from what tribe. But to think that there's going to be exactly 12,000 from 12 different groups, uh, you know, and that means that if there's one more who wants to join, right, we get to 11,999 out of the tribe of Asher, and then the last one comes, God says, that's it. And then someone else steps in line. I want to be sealed too. Oh, sorry, too late. You can't make it. We already filled our quota for Gad. We already filled our quota for Asher. Sorry. You know, you have to, tough luck on you. It takes away free choice. Uh, you know, it, it puts God into uh, mathematicians coming up with numbers, exact numbers, and not, again, a God of love, that whosoever should believe on him can be saved. Not wanting, not willing that any should perish, but that he's got this, this number, this quota to meet, and then once he gets that quota, then it's filled. Uh, again, that doesn't go along with the, the scriptures, the concept, the, the character of God at all. And just the, the chances of that, of having 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, uh, with free choice of 12 different tribes coming up. But I think it's symbolic. 12 representing the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, the full. He pulled his full tribe together, the full nation, all of Israel represented by 12 tribes. So all of the people of God. And again, we'll see that in some text here. So all of the people of God that are going to be saved, all the people of God who surrender their lives to him, all the people of God who accept his seal will be part of that. So full number, 12 representing fullness, a full nation, a full tribe, uh, and all full of all God's people together will be sealed. And I think that's what the number represents. I could be wrong, but whatever the case on that, that doesn't really matter. But God has this people. And again, I don't think they're just of Israel, and we'll see this here in a second, too. So let's look in Revelation 14, verse 1, where it describes these people in a little bit more detail. Behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. 
and they sang a new song, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. In their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So here again, so now we have some more descriptions. And so from the Bible itself, we see if we try and make it literal, we try and make Revelation literal, that it's going to be a literal 12,000 from these tribes and these two other tribes, Ephraim and, and Dan, tough luck on them. They're, no one from them can make it in. Uh, and these others are, are in of these 12, and only of 12,000, not 12,001, not 12,002, sorry, tough luck. We take it literally, then this has to be literal too, that they have to be virgins, Right? Good luck finding 144,000 Jewish virgins. It's just not going to happen. Right? So that's not that's the problem right there. Right? So we're going to go literal, we've got to go literal all the way. And they're without guile in their mouth. They've never said anything wrong. That's not going to happen either. Right? 144,000 Jews who've never said anything, never spoke up, never, never spoke out of turn. Not going to happen. Literal number, literal descriptions here. So again, it's not literal, but what is it saying? And if they know a song no one else can learn? Was it just a melody, the, 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 the beat that no one else can learn and no one else can pick it up? It's that hard? Again, if we go literally. Let's look at it spiritually in relation to the Bible. A lamb of God standing on Mount Zion with 144,000. So again, if it's literal, you have to have 144,000 people standing on Mount Zion with one lamb. Not with the Lord, but with a lamb. Right? Again, we're going to go literal or we're going to let the Bible explain itself and let revelation be revelation, the revealing of Yeshua. Right? So no, it's all of God's people who received the seal, standing not literally on Mount Zion, but standing in God's place, standing in God's home, standing where God wants us to be, with Yeshua there with us as the Lamb of God. Right? Having their Father's name written on their forehead. Now that's going to be important. Put that in the back of your mind or maybe in the forehead of your mind. Forehead. Right? All right, so they have his name written on their forehead. We'll come back to that. So you have the Father name embraced on them. You have Yeshua standing there with us. You have us all the people of God united together, standing together, singing a new song that no one could learn that song except this 144,000 who are redeemed from the earth. So these are the last people. Yeah, we're between... Sixth seal and seventh seal. The people who are there when the Lord returns. The people who are redeemed from this earth at the Lord's appearing. And they have a song that no one else has ever sung. No one else can learn. But what are songs about? What are songs mostly about? Right? Country Western, you know? Oh, I stubbed my toe, you know. <laughs> They're telling their experience. They're sharing their experience. They're writing their experience. Right? So they have a unique experience. It's a new song because no one else on this earth except them have stood. Who will be able to stand? These are the ones who are standing when the Lord is returning. These are the ones seeing him come on the clouds of heaven in the Father's glory. No one else has seen that. No one else can learn that. No one else can share that experience. No one else would have gone through this time of trouble and made it through. So no one will be able to share that in that song 
because this is their unique experience. These are the ones, they're not defiled with women, for they are virgins. So women, so women in Revelation, representing prophecy, representing professed people of God, sometimes a good woman when they're following God, a harlot woman when they're not. And in Revelation, we'll get to this in another chapter, the harlot has daughters, and so not defiled with the women, the false religions, the false theories, the false theology of this world. They're not defiled with that. They have pure doctrines, pure truth, pure theology, pure lives. They are virgins spiritually, prepared to meet the Lord as a bride, prepared for her husband, dressed in white, clothed in white. Purity, again, not physically virgins, but spiritually virgins, not having any other God before them dedicated to God, set apart for God, sanctified for God, and then following him wherever he goes, by his side. They are redeemed, again, second time, they are redeemed from the earth, being the first fruits. Right? So they're standing when the Lord comes, and the Lord himself shall send from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the dead in Messiah will be raised first, and we which are alive or remain will be caught up together as first fruits unto the Lord. And to the Lamb, and in their mouth is no deceit. So pure in their words, in their heart, in their actions, out of the abundance of the heart, so the mouth speaketh. The Lord has sealed their hearts, purified their hearts. They are without fault before the throne of God. God has worked his perfection. Again, or before you seal the jar of jam, you got to get all the impurities out. God has cleansed us. He's purified us. He's taken us through the time of trouble. He's gone through a time of Jacob's trouble, stri striving and wrestling with God to have victory over our sins. He's taken us through the symbolic Yom Kippur, of fasting and praying and our books being opened before us. Ten days of awe, spiritual ten days of awe. Everything's been confessed. Everything's been forgiven. Everything's been nailed to them with the Messiah and killed in the Messiah, removed from us, buried in the tomb. Our sins have been washed away. He removes our sins from us. He will save us from our sins and from the power of sin. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit and gives us the ability to walk in newness of life. All things become new, changed hearts, born anew, born from above. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He sanctifies us as he is sanctified. Be perfect as he is perfect. Right? From out to, throughout the scriptures, it talks about God setting us apart for this holy special use. Through the Torah, through Deuteronomy, right on through the Gospels, right on through to here. Without fault before the throne of God. A bride without spot, without wrinkle, without defilement, totally cleanses us, gives us total victory, right? We read that in Revelation with the seven congregations, overcome, 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 they each overcome, the he that overcometh, the he that overcometh, the he that overcometh, a people that are willing to stand with God, people that are willing to follow God all, wherever he goes, in every aspect of their life, every day of their life. Follow whatever he says. Do whatever he says. Make him Lord in every aspect of their lives. 
going from victory to victory. As Paul says, should we, because of the grace abounds, should we therefore sin? He says, no, God forbid. How should we sin that we who are dead in Messiah? He has cleansed us, he has given us victory, he's transformed our hearts, he's changed us. And thus he has a people ready for his coming. Thus the heavenly sanctuary is cleansed, right? We read that in Daniel chapter 8, that he has to cleanse the sanctuary. He can't cleanse the sanctuary as, as we continue to defile it. So we have allowed him to cleanse our hearts and minds of all sin. Allow him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, living victorious lives, so that the world can see him again, that he can bring us back to that Adam and Eve state, recreated in his image. As he came and did, he will do again in us. Holy Spirit flowing out of us, living his life out of us. And thus we're able to stand through that time of trouble because we'll be sealed, won't be able to touch us spiritually. We won't yield in any way, shape, or form. Like Job going through that experience, he can let everything happen, let everything go awire in his life, and yet he trusts God through it. We'll have a Job experience all over again. Like Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah thrown into the fiery furnace, going through the trial, but yet coming out pure. Like Daniel thrown into the lion's den, lets us go through the trial, but he takes us through it, purified, sealed, without fault, before God. What a contrast to common thinking. That, oh, well, we're human, we're going to continue to fall, we're going to continue to sin, God knows our hearts, and, and we're never going to, I just heard this uh, on the radio, waiting for the news to come on, at the end of his sermon, the guy said, uh, well, we're never going to, overcome, but we need to strive. We need to try, continue to try. What a, what a waste of time. What a futility. It's like a hamster on, a, on a, a wheel, just running and running and running. And we have a little bit bigger brains than, than, than hamsters. We get bored after a while. We look around and say, I'm not going nowhere. And we give up. We jump off that wheel. That's, that's supposed to be the, the walk with God? That we just strive and strive and strive all our lives and never overcome? If we believe that God can give an alcoholic victory over alcohol, if we believe that he can give a heroin addict victory over heroin, why can't he give us victory over gossip and jealousy and pride and, and insecurity and fears and worries? He can give us victory over all things. His arm is not too short to save. And so there'll be a people who believe this. This is what it means to believe. That he is Lord. That he is God. That he is all-powerful that he can recreate in us new hearts, new minds, new lives. And they will believe that. God will make it their experience. And then he'll be able to seal us. The sanctuary will be cleansed. No more defilement going. And then he's able to close the doors and he's able to come back. This is what God is waiting on before he can get to the seventh seal. These are the people he needs. And so in contrast, we have the seal of God. We saw it in the forehead, the mark of the beast. We'll see that in another few chapters. But if you've read ahead, where is the mark of the beast found? On the forehead and on the hand. Right? The seal of God, we're going to see, it also mentions hand. 
same thing. Because throughout Revelation, we see this contrast between two powers. We have a lamb and we have a beast. We have a good woman. We have an evil woman. We have a seal of God. We have a mark of a beast. Constant contrast. We have the one who is and who was and who uh, will be forever and ever. And we have Satan who copies that. You're going to see throughout Revelation, Satan constantly trying to copy and duplicate and counterfeit. So the mark of the beast is the counterfeit to the seal of God. So we've seen that we, there's people who receive the seal of God. We see that what their experience will be, victorious over sin. So now let's look at what the seal of God is. And we'll get into the mark of the beast another week. Of course, God wants us to know what the mark of the beast is. Be no sense telling us to don't receive the mark if we don't know what it is. So he's going to explain that to us as well. But it's in, so the hint is it's the direct opposite of what the seal of God is. So let's look at what the seal of God is. So a seal in general, right? Uh, we have like here the governor's seal, the seal of Florida, the great seal of the state of Florida. It says in God we trust on it. Or a governor's seal will say uh, Governor DeSantis, state of Florida, right? So it gives his title, gives his name, gives his territory. Uh, but also just like a seal, seal is for identification. It identifies the person, it identifies the state, identifies. So like a, a sign, it's for identification. We're going to see these three words, seal, mark, sign, used interchangeably. Right, so we have a road sign, signs pointing in a direction, identifying the direction these roads are in, or a, a marker, a sign marker. Right? Uh, this road, this thing, event, this event happened here, so you have a marker, you have signs, you have seal, uh, right? They would put a, a marker, a brand on cow. They would use to embrace it in there. Now they got tags and other ways of doing it, right? It's for identifications, for ownership, right? So the seal or the mark or a sign, put a sign on a building, it identifies whose building it is. It's in Bethel Shalom. We got a sign out front identifying it, who it is, right? So the seal identifies the state or all these are interchangeable words. Okay, in Isaiah chapter six, or chapter eight, verse sixteen. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. So he's saying to seal God's law among those who follow the Lord, whithersoever he goes, my disciples. Seal them with the law. So we see already one text indicating that the seal of God is the law of God. Bind it up and seal the law among them. In Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, put a mark, mark, seal, sign, put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done. Do not slay anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. It says here, put the mark on the forehead. Where did it say in Revelation the seal would be? On the forehead. So again, we're seeing a parallel. So mark, seal, on the forehead, those who sigh and cry over the abominations that are taking place in the land. Now, sighing and crying is different than whining and complaining. It's different than grumbling and, uh, and, and yelling and screaming. It's sighing and crying for the abominations. It's heartfelt sadness for those who are committing the abominations that are taking place. It's not a condemning it's not a accusing, but it's crying, prayer. Lord, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. 
Lord, help them. Lord, bring them to repentance. Crying out for the abomination. And the abominations, are getting, again, it's getting worse and worse. Unbelievable. You never would have guessed the things that are happening now. People being forced. The man who's being forced to have his child, I think it's five years old, seven year old, to go through uh, sex change because that's what the mother wants. Absolutely crazy what's going on in this world. In, in Europe, England, anti-Semitism is on the rise. Hatred here in the United States. People just talking about just sides breaking up things, families breaking up. Abominations are taking place in the land. That should cause us to cry and lament. So the seal will cause us to lament because of the abominations. And the abominations are in contrast to God's law, contrast to God's truth. In a parallel text in Psalm 119, 136, rivers of water run down from my eyes because men don't keep your law. So David here in Psalm 119, he's saying he's sighing and crying, rivers of water running down out of his eyes. Why? Because people are not keeping the law. They're committing the abominations. Right? So it's parallel. Crying over the abominations or crying because they're not keeping the law. Same thing. So God's people will be sealed because they are keeping God's law and they're sad about those who are not. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The Viahafta. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. What do we call the area between your eyes? Your forehead, right? So here again, this is what he's talking about. So on the forehead, between your eyes, on your hand, and in your heart. Now, I don't think he's talking about, well, first of all, what's he talking about? What are these words that I command you this day? This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting verse 4. So what are the words that he commanded that day? What are the words in Deuteronomy chapter 5? And we know what's in Deuteronomy chapter 5? A list of the Ten Commandments. Reiterating of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, he starts by saying, these words that I give you this day, write them, they, uh, they shall be in your heart, bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be between your eyes. So the Ten Commandments, God's law again. God's law as his seal placed in the exact opposite area, or the same areas, but in contrast to the mark of the beast, which is also in the hand and in the forehead. This has the extra, has the heart as well. Now, what does it mean that it's in the heart, in the hand, and on the eyes? Does that mean we should write some of Deuteronomy on a, on a scroll and put it in a little box and put it on our forehead and wrap it around our head or wrap one around our arms? Is that the way the, the phylacteries, the, the filling? Is that what he's talking about? That's how it's literally, again, if you try and take it literally, that's where we end up with literalism. But what does it mean that it's in our heart? Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation day and night, David said. Right? So it's a love for the law, having it in our mind, in our forehead. Right? What's the part of our forehead, the frontal part of our forehead? What do we call that? The frontal 
the frontal lobe. What do we do with the frontal lobe? And where the memory is stored? And where the character is stored? No, what's in the frontal lobe? The making of the decisions. That's why they used to do frontal lobotomies. If you're making wrong decisions, they took out your ability to make decisions. That's why when we get drunk, it affects the frontal lobe, and then people do wrong choices. They do stupid things or drugs because the frontal lobe is affected. And so in the mind, in the decision-making part of the brain, where we are choosing God, we are choosing to follow him, we are choosing his law, and then on the hands, whatsoever your hand finds it to do, do with all your might. Right? So the hand representing our actions, what we're doing. Right? So place it in the forehead, place it in the hands. So we, we choose to follow God. God gives us a love for his law. And then he lives out his law through our lives, through our actions. So in the heart, in the hands, and in the mind. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. All right, so another similar text, parallel text. His laws being placed in our minds, in our hearts, right? writing them on our hearts and on our minds, and that causes us to do them, and we are his people. And follow him with us wherever he goes. This is the seal of God, the law of God placed in our hearts, placed in our minds, and lived out in our actions. So there'll be a people living in the last day who choose to follow God, who love God, love his law, and goes right along with him, and are doing it by his grace, by his power. That's the identification of God's people. You'll know them by their love. You will know them by their works. Not by a tattoo on their forehead, but by our actions, the choices we've made, the words that come out of our mouths, the actions we do, what we truly love. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, gets more specific. I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Keep holy my, verse 20, keep holy my Sabbaths and they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Right? What again was the purpose of a seal or a marker or a sign? Identification. You will know that they may know that I am the Lord your God. This is the identification. So the law, the law in general, the Ten Commandments, more specific. And out of the Ten Commandments, even more specific, it mentions God's Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is God's identification, more so than all the other commandments. It identifies God as the reason and the giver of the law. Right? Thou, thou shalt not kill. Well, there's a lot of, or murder, thou shalt not murder. There's a lot of countries who have that law. I don't know if there's any country that doesn't have that in their law books. Does that mean they're godly? Does that mean they're following God? Who is it that gave that command? It could have been anyone. It could have been Russia, it could have been China, it could have been North Korea. Anyone could give that, that law. Thou shalt not steal. Right? That could be anyone. Right? So who is it that says don't commit adultery? Who are you to say that? Right? Who, who, who says that? But the Sabbath commandment tells us that he is the creator of all things. He is the lawgiver. That's why it stands out as unique commandment of the Ten Commandments. And it gives his dominion that he created the heavens and the earth. And thus he has a right over us. Plus it's unique in that it's 
been the one of the Ten Commandments that's greatly denied in society today. And so it's a unique commandment in that way. Just worked out that way, that this has become the test. This has become the distinction between those who are following the Ten Commandments and they're not. Because again, a lot of people don't murder. There are heathens that don't murder. <laughs> Does that mean they have the seal of God? Not necessarily. And as it says in James, if you've broken one, you've broken them all. So to follow the nine without having this one, it's still like breaking them all. So this becomes the unique one in these last days, the unique identification that he is the Lord, our God, and that he sanctifies us, right? That they may know. Who's the they? All the rest of the world. That they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. What does it mean to be sanctified? To be set apart. That God sets us apart for holy use. Again, like that sealing. Set apart. It's been sealed, like that letter with the seal on it, for a purpose, to go to a specific person, for a specific reason, from a specific individual. Set apart. God sets us apart. He sanctifies them. That's the process he's doing in our lives. He has justified us. He's forgiven us through the Messiah's death for us. And then the Holy Spirit comes into us and begins to change us day by day, moment by moment, sanctifying us, cleansing us so that we can be pure before him, that we can again stand without spot or wrinkle. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to go around boasting, oh, I'm perfect now. I've not sinned. I'm perfect, right? Because it says, who will be able to stand? So their attitude is, I'm unworthy to stand, casting our crowns before him, and yet coming to him in our unworthiness, but still having gained victory over victory. Because we will not be comparing ourselves with ourselves. We won't be comparing ourselves with others. We'll be comparing ourselves with God. And in comparison to God, we always have room for growth. But we'll be living in a state of not consciously rebelling against God, not purposefully, consciously choosing to disobey him. Right? You think it's possible to do that? To not consciously, rebelliously choosing to know what is right and refusing to do it, to know what is wrong and refusing to do it anyway, or choosing to do it anyway? By God's grace, it's possible. That doesn't mean, again, that we won't forget someone's name, and we won't stub our toes. That Yeshua was right without sin. Does that mean as a carpenter, he never cut a board too short? That he never measured something too long? That he never forgot someone's name? That he never got lost? Walking in the woods somewhere? No, that's, that's crazy. He became flesh. But he did not ever consciously, rebelliously choose to disobey the Father. Doesn't mean he never pooped his pants as a baby, right? You know, he had to have his diapers cleansed, right? He spit up sometime or another, right? And same with us. He will be able to fill us with his Holy Spirit to the point where we are not consciously, rebelliously choosing to disobey God. And that's what it means, not to sin. Not to known sin, not committing any known sin. Sanctified before him. 
cleansed before him, standing before him. And so the Sabbath is a specific sign of the ten, of the full law, that shows that he is the Lord who's done his work. It's his sign between us and him that he sanctifies us and that they may know that he is the Lord our God. So God's seal is Sabbath. We see within the Sabbath commandment, the Lord's name is mentioned there. I am the Lord your God who created the heavens and the earth. His territory is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Right? So he has his dominion. And so in the Sabbath, again, it's that unique identification in that commandment, more so than any other commandment, that identifies him as why he has the authority to give the laws, because he created us. He's owner over all the earth. And he is the Lord our God. Right? And so he has the right. And so he puts that seal on us. He puts that identification on it. These are my people. I have sanctified them. I have cleansed them. I have made them holy as I, the Lord, their God, am holy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, God has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And similarly, Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So God's law is his seal, and the Sabbath in particular, out of them all. But we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit does the job of sealing. And what does he seal us with? He puts that stamp of God's law in our hearts, in our minds, and in our actions. So we don't seal ourselves. We don't have the ability to follow God in our own self. We can't even choose him in our own. We can't love him on our own. Our hearts are enmity against God. He needs to take out our carnal hearts, take out our old minds, put in his mind, put in the mind of Yeshua. Let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua the Messiah. Puts in hearts of flesh, writes his laws. The Holy Spirit writes his laws in our hearts and minds. The Holy Spirit comes in us, and the Holy Spirit is the action of God that does the sealing in our lives. So he's the, the, the sealer, but the seal is his law in our hearts and minds and demonstrated for the world to see. So that's an identification of the seal, an identification of how we are sealed and by whom we are sealed and who will be sealed. Back to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After these things, oh, and I should have pointed out that before it said the, the, uh, the 144,000, it said, and I heard him say, there are 144,000 of this tribe, of this tribe, of this tribe. And we've seen this over and over again in Revelation. He hears one thing, and then he sees something seemingly totally different. I heard them say, the line of the tribe of Judah. And I looked and I beheld a lamb as if it had been slain. Right? So he hears one thing, but it's really the same thing. She was both the lion and the lamb. Right? So he hears one, and then he sees the what's seemingly the opposite, over and over again. Well, here again, so he hears 144,000 of 12,000 of 12,000 of 12,000, but then he turns, and what does he see? After these things, I looked and I beheld a great multitude of which no one could number of all the nations, tribes, people, and tongues standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb. Compare this again in direct contrast. They're saying, they're beholding salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And what are the wicked saying? Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So the wicked are saying that and the righteous are saying just the opposite. Salvation, Hosanna, he has saved. Who's able to stand? We're not able but without him, but by God's grace, salvation belongs to him. Thus, we are able to stand because of him who sits on the throne and because of the Lamb. But how are they described here? As a set number? No. As a multitude that no one can number. From 12 specific tribes of one nation of Israel? No. Of every nation, tribe, people, and tongues. Tongues, of course, in the Bible means languages. It's not literal tongues out of someone's mouth. And a bunch of cut off their tongues and... No, it's the languages, right? It's from all these different languages and all these different people groups, all these different races and nationalities and tribes and families. God bringing all of his people together that choose him, that whosoever should call on the name of the Lord should be saved. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? And so here it all comes together. So you have these people, symbolically, without spot, without wrinkle, of the people of God, of the children of God, of the tribes of God, sealed with his law, sealed with his truth, sealed with his Holy Spirit, keeping his Sabbath, loving it with their hearts, with their minds, doing it with their actions, following the Lord whithersoever he goes. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Still chapter 7, verse 13. And one of the elders said, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said, Sir, you know, and so he said, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Sanctified, without guile in their mouth, without fault before the throne of God. Virgins, pure white robes, ready for the bride, made pure and white through the blood of the Lamb. And who are they? They are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. Right? God doesn't spare his people through, from tribulation. Whosoever shall live godly in Yeshua the Messiah will suffer persecution. If the Yeshua said, if they've done this to me, how much more will they do this to you? If they've done it in a green tree, how much will they do it in a dry tree? Nowhere in the Bible, no one has God spared going through a rough time. No one has given an easy way out. Oh, we like that doctrine. We like that teaching. Oh, yeah, give me an easy way out. Oh, poof me out of here before all the trouble comes. Nowhere in the Bible. When did the plagues fall when we were in Egypt? While we were still in Egypt or after we left out of Egypt? While we were still in Egypt. God protected us through the seven. The three still fell in our area, but protected us through the seven last. We were still there. He takes us through the Red Sea, and then he closes it in on the wicked and the Pharaoh's army charging after us. Over and over again, we see this 
throughout the scriptures. God, we talked about Daniel and his friends. Let us go through the fire. He's there with us in the fire, but we go through the experience. He protected Daniel in the lion's den, but he still had to go into the lion's den. Others martyrs, others died. Prophets were cut in half and other problems and other people were burned, people were killed, people were martyrs down through the ages. Some will die, but in the end, God takes us through. Heaven is our goal. Heaven is our destination. Not long life on this earth. He sees us through. He takes us out of the tribulation. Not sparing us from the tribulation. He takes us through it to the other side. As he's done over and over again. We mentioned Job, Joseph, David, Moses, all of them. God has taken us through the tribulation. Yeshua himself. Went to the wilderness, tempted there. Went through Gethsemane. Went to Calvary. He didn't spare his own son. He won't spare us through it. He'll see us through, though. He'll be with us. Never leave us nor forsake us. He will stand with us to the end. So these are the ones. This is the 144,000. This is this great multitude. These are the people of God, sealed with the seal of God, living through the end living through the time of trouble, seeing the Lord come in the clouds with all his angels, watching the dead in Messiah resurrected, seeing the angels come down and gather us together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Unique experience, a new song that no one else will be able to sing. Maybe we will be part of that group Verse 15, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he sits, and he who sits on the throne will dwell with them, among them. And they shall neither hunger nor mourn nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb of God is in the midst of the throne, will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Why does it say they'll neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore, nor the sun strike them anymore, or any heat? Why would it say that? Because that's what we've just experienced. We went through a time when they did not allow us to buy, did not let us to sell. There'll be hunger, they'll be thirsting, we'll be cast out of our homes, we'll be living in deserts and living in the wilderness, in the hills, imprisoned, sun and heat upon us. And he assures us, don't worry, I'll take you through it. And then it'll never happen ever again. You'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. The sun will never strike you again. I will shepherd you. I will be with you. I will wipe away all your tears. You'll never cry again. I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, it's going to be easy for you. Oh, just believe the Lord. And everything's going to go great with you. You'll be prosperous. You'll never have a problem. You'll never have any heartache, you'll never get fired, you'll be rich, you'll be famous, you'll prosper, and everything's going to go well. And then when the time comes for wickedness to, to reign over this earth, I'm going to take you out beforehand. God's going to take you out beforehand. No. But he will sustain us. He will stand with us. He will give us the strength to stand. 
as lights in the firmament shining in the darkness of this world, the darkest part of, this, of the age, the darkest part of earth's history, God will have a people who stand for him. That's again the whole Job experience, standing before Satan himself, standing without sin, without blame, before the throne of God. As a testimony, Satan will be the accuser of the brethren accusing. They won't follow you. Take away everything they own. Let persecution come to them and they will fold. And God will say, let's see. God, I've sealed them. They are mine. And God will have a demonstration to the universe that it's possible to serve God through the worst time of this universe's history. And he will take us through. Are we willing to go through that with him? Are we willing to choose him tonight? We're willing to choose him to allow us to hold us fast and let us be a testimony of God's love and of God's power, of God's true grace to hold us fast and to keep us from falling. That's what it means to believe that he is able. And then comes the seventh seal. And when he opened about the seventh seal, it was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. We talked about this, the silence, because the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will reward each according to his works. First chapter 24, Matthew 24, 30. And the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels and a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. That is parallels what we saw in Revelation. The four winds, we saw the four winds mentioned in Revelation 7. We see here the wicked all mourning. The tribes of the earth will mourn. Hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Rocks and hills fall on us. They're mourning. And they'll see him coming on the clouds. And then he sends forth his angels to gather us up and to bring us to heaven. And that's the last event. So where we are in Earth's history, as far as the seals are concerned, we're just waiting for the Lord. To, we're waiting for him to seal us. And then he comes. That's all that's left as far as the seven seals are concerned. That has to take place. And really, it's not us waiting on him. It's him waiting on us. I believe the Lord could have come long before now. But he needs a people who are willing to follow him all the way. Ready to be sealed. Have confessed all their sins. Have allowed God to search their hearts and try their ways and see if there be any wicked way in them. And remove it out of our hearts. And allow us to fill him. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fully filled every aspect of our lives. So we're choosing him all the time. By his grace, by his power. And then when he has those people, he can allow the mark of the beast to go forth, and he can allow that time of trouble to take place, and then he can come. That's really all that's left that's happened. There's not a whole lot that needs to happen left. We're very close. He's just waiting on us. Again, the abominations, people are compromising. A, a company this week just compromised, folded, no longer donating to, uh, to certain groups that take a stand for the Bible. 
because they've been pressured. Don't stand with this group who believe the Bible. Don't donate to them anymore. And so they're not. But we compromise. But we fold under the pressure. And they say, we can't buy or sell. We won't be able to open our franchise in another city. Will we fold? Or will we stand for God? We trust him like Elijah for a raven to feed us if that's what it takes. Breadcrumbs. Are we willing to live off breadcrumbs for the Lord if that's what it takes? Are we willing to trust him to provide for our needs? That's what the Lord is looking for, a people group. And then when he has that people group, everyone will be able to make their decision very quickly. Whether they want to stand with that group or whether they want to rebel against God, the choice will be very clear. And people will make their, choose their sides. And everyone, those who are righteous will be righteous still, the wicked will be wicked still, and then the Lord can come. And the seventh seal can take place. What are we waiting for? And so as we prepare to pray, if you're allowing, willing to allow God to search your heart each day, show any sin to you, any area of rebellion, any open sin, and confess it before him and allow him to forgive you. Then in the moment when we pray, give God that permission. Secondly, if you're willing to allow God to write his law into your heart and mind, then in the moment when we pray, open up your heart to him and say, Lord, put your law in my heart. Put your law in my heart, in my mind. Live your law out of my, live in me and through me and for me. Thirdly, if you want to specifically keep the Sabbath, if you haven't been keeping God's Sabbath, it's God's special commandment out of his, all the commandments are special to God, but this is the one that Satan attacks more than anything else. This is the one that is the special identification. This is the crowning act of his creation, that he created us, that he is ours. If you're willing to keep his Sabbath, if you haven't been keeping his Sabbath, and you're willing to start keeping it tonight, and by God's grace, as we pray, Ask God to fill you, because it's his promise. He will keep the Sabbath in you. He's promised to sustain you. And ask him to fulfill that promise in your life, to give you the ability to keep his Sabbath, to remember his Sabbath, to keep it holy. And so if that applies to you, in a moment when we pray, let God do his work. And fourth or fifth, whatever we're up to, if you want to be able to stand and see him come, maybe there's fear, anxious about going through that time of trouble, ask God to remove the fears. And ask God to use you as a witness for him, as a living testimony for him. For all the stars of heaven, for all the created beings, that God had a people who were willing to stand for him. If you're willing to be part of that people, in a moment when we pray, let's ask God to do that in our lives. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we're thankful for your word and we're thankful that your word explains itself to us. Thank you for opening our eyes letting us see your seal. 
Lord, we come before you unworthy of anything on our own strength. So we surrender our lives before you. We're not able to stand, but you can make us stand. Lord, we give you permission to work in our hearts and minds, cleanse us from all sin, remove all fear, all worries, all cares, all rebellion against you, every blot on our record. Cleanse us through the blood of the Lamb, the sacrifice of the Messiah. Holy Spirit, come into us and fill us with your presence and with your power. Seal us with your glory and write your laws in our hearts and in our minds and live them out through us. And if you choose to allow us to live to the very end, to see you come, then give us your strength and give us your glory. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.